How's it going, Intercuties? Zach here with a quick update about Intercut's Sundance Film Festival coverage. We talked about every single feature film that played in this year's festival, over 70 movies. Hope you're excited to listen to it. We were definitely excited to record it because we talked for over five hours about all of these movies. And we figured rather than releasing one five-hour-long episode, which, let's face it, maybe five of you would even end up listening to, we're going to break this one up into different sections based on the different sections of the festival. So this video is covering all the movies that played in the premieres and spotlight section later today. We'll put out a video with the midnight and next movies, and then we'll continue putting out videos through the rest of the week covering every single movie that played in Sundance. Hope you all got to see some movies that you liked at the Sundance Film Festival. If not, that's what we're here for. So without further delay, let's get into the movies. Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't get away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, craving a caffeine hit from Silver King Coffee, it's Arturo Zurita. Damn, I completely forgot we used to hit up that place every single day at Sundance. And the Fresh Market as well. I practically just put Fresh Market over my kitchen and just pretended like I was going up there. When I would go upstairs, that was the, the mountain resort. Hey, what a fantastic year for Sundance. Just right mm-hmm. off the bat, uh, we're going to be talking about all these movies, but the best thing about Sundance this year was that they did it. We've gone through a lot of virtual fests, but they did their thing. 11 out of 10 on the festival. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a bit, you know, because obviously we usually do this live from Park City, and this year it's, you know, got a live from mm-hmm. Sundance, but uh, it, obviously we did our best to recreate it from home. Uh, also, you know, joining us to keep things more like they've usually been, she can escape Park City, but she can't escape the cold weather. It's Amanda the Jedi. What up? Thanks, as always, for having me. Yeah, uh, so... We're happy to have Amanda get the crew back to do the Sundance thing. Once again, our third year doing it here for on Intercut. Uh, we'll talk about documentaries, about narratives, about award winners in just a little bit. But first, make sure you're subscribed not just to the Intercut podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com or the audio podcast available on most podcasters. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at Intercut Pod. That's Intercut P-O-D. That's short for podcast. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. It makes me happier than a virtual film festival platform that actually works. Be like our listener and from the future who said, great podcasts, smart and fun conversations. Love it when Amanda is on the show. This one's for you and from the future. We brought Amanda back. (laughs) So So, yeah, uh, Thank you always for having five, uh, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Please leave more. Appreciate Please it. Uh, keep sending love Amanda's way so she keeps coming back and doing this with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a virtual Sundance, guys. It's not the usual format. We're not in the mountains of Utah for this one, but Sundance did a really admirable admirable job putting its platform together. They had these screening windows, and you could double up on movies and try and hustle and fit in more movies in a day than I think previously we thought imaginable. Uh, Art, I know you topped some of your own personal Sundance <laughs> watching records over the past few days. Yes, uh, there was. I think they had tweeted out that the most you can fit in a day, and they tempted you. They said, "Try it." 
see how many you can get. Even on that final day, they said as long as you click it at 11.59, it is yours for four hours. Do it. I did. 13 movies is the record that I've seen in Ooh. one day, and that comes because of the virtual festival. It is, it's all about playing Tetris with those little slots. As soon mm-hmm. as you start one, mm-hmm. as soon as that ends, start this other one. Um, yeah, 13. They, I think they were saying you can maybe do 10. I couldn't do 11. I couldn't do 11. <laughs> Accidentally, I went from 12 to 13. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun. It was exciting. My eyes, the bags, like if I went on an airplane right now, they charge me extra. Like I am so <laughs> exhausted. I have never made as much coffee as I have <laughs> at home like, like this past week. I, uh, I mean, the ease of access makes it so hard to not just constantly yeah. drink coffee. Yeah, yeah. that too. Um but nah, it, it was, was also nice to like eat a little bit better than I think we normally do at Sundance. Have like a, a little bit more home cooking than Instead I think of, we're used to. Yeah, just going to the fresh market and picking whatever they have there. Even though I do miss the burrito spot that I we were going that. to. Yeah. That, the, that burrito spot was special. So good. All honestly, I don't know what it is. Utah has great Mexican cuisine. Like that's yeah. the one thing y'all have noticed. Yeah, when we went, we would have got to the what was it, the red iguana, then red the, iguana, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, Ernesto's or. Or I was Alberta. like Alfredo's. I can't Alberta's? remember. I think it, it might have been Alberta's. Alberta, yeah. Alberta's. Yeah, because yeah. Ryan kept confusing it with the store in Cali. So I'm not <laughs> sure, but shout out to them. They provided us with great meals. And uh, I stuck with the Mexican food this year around. Alina had made yeah. 7,000 tamales. I think oh, uh, we yeah, have five mentioned. left. So, uh, Amanda, did you uh, stock up on snacks for your virtual Sundance? No, I was like kind of pretty lazy about that because uh, we were like, we've been clear for COVID for so long. And then randomly they were like, okay, we just got like 26 cases in a day. So like, y'all don't shouldn't go anywhere. My car battery's been having issues. So like, I just wasn't going anywhere. Um, so I was just getting stuff delivered to me. Got some popcorn delivered. It was great. <laughs> Movie theater's still open. So they'll go they pick up the popcorn and they'll something. bring it. Yeah, yeah, That's what they're selling. Yeah. But you uh, enjoyed the virtual platform this year. What was like a an advantage to it rather than a normal year? You feel like just like what Art said is like the sheer amount of movies you can just just pack in, and uh, the the Q and A's being kind of after and digital, they can actually run longer because normally. It's y'all gotta get out of here so we can bring the next movie in. It's they like can let minutes, a, they yeah. can let a Q and A go for thirty five minutes 30, if the people 40, are around beautiful. being around if they're okay being around for it. So that was great. But just like the sheer number of movies that you could just fit in a day. So it's like I watched the same or maybe even more movies than I normally would in a two week Sundance period in like a weekend, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like more than a weekend. But yeah, basically, it's crazy. Yeah. I thought you had a really good point when we were live streaming on uh, the Let Me Explain channel earlier in the week uh, about how, yeah, you can fit in so many movies. But one of the things that you actually do lose is that processing time yes. uh, that yeah. you spend, you know, on yeah. the bus going from movie to movie or even just in line for your next just movie. Because, walking, like, yeah. you know, the the credits hit. And if you're not sticking around for that Q&A, you, you you're are in going right movie. into the next movie. Yeah. You're not even like there's I, I definitely went from one movie to the next without even like five minute break for some of these. Same. Yeah. So, it was literally like, Kate, two minutes, got enough time to go to the bathroom and then we're starting up the next one. Like that's that was nah, it. Bro. You, you do it from the iPad. So all you do is just take it out of the iPad and then you go to the yeah. throne while you're still watching the movie. <laughs> I was doing that <laughs> for some intro. of them. 
Yeah, I was doing that for some of them, like no joke. And I I was also skipping the intros because that was like five minutes of time that I could mm-hmm. not get back. And that's another thing that they yeah. add. And like she was mentioning, the Q&A is being filmed. It's I love when yeah, they go longer than 30, 40. Mm-hmm. Hell, when they're talking for two hours, that's when they let I'm things like, slip. Yes. But the fact that they were on demand, you know, you can go straight to your next screening and not have to worry about it not exactly. being recorded in yep, the highest quality later. that you can on Zoom. Yeah, you check it later. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, me too. It's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also a little bit of the the lack of being able to see a movie with a big crowd and and get that whole feeling uh, that I think made it made some movies feel a little bit lesser this yes. year or at least you miss the experience of that. So yeah. the trade-off between seeing like a lot more stuff and me getting to see basically every single movie I had even a little bit of interest in mm-hmm. is maybe the experience wasn't as great. I, I don't know. Is there a movie in particular that stands out to either of you two as Man, I wish I had caught that in in the Eccles or in the li- library or at the Ray. Mother or- Schmuckers. Mother Schmuckers. Mother Schmuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have a pull quote for that isn't actually about the movie, <laughs> it but it for is. The so movie. It's fun. We've been having the best time. Yeah, with do you want to explain that, Amanda? <laughs> okay, yeah. Basically, I got a pull quote where it's like, "I'm ten minutes in and I want to puke, send prayers." And the only and they put did. that as something that I said about Mother Schmuckers, which accurate. Ten minutes in, two minutes into Mother Schmuckers, I want to. It's a good description puke. of Mother Schmuckers. Yeah, it's yeah. a great description. So I'm fine with Problem it. I think is. it's hilarious. It's not about that. I was watching <laughs> Pleasure, and Pleasure was the first movie that asked me to verify my age, yep. and I commented. However, had I not had a screener link to watch Mother Schmuckers ahead of the festival and watch it, it definitely would have asked for my age verification. Then I tweeted, "I'm ten minutes in." you know it was about pleasure they just saw mother schmuckers and they saw that and they're like must be about mm-hmm. this movie and they grabbed That's it and hilarious. went hilarious super accurate still accurate and still de- accurate. cosine i said Amanda it's the, the whole damn week. movie made me want to puke pleasure <laughs> they, that i mean there's just certain things that gross me out and there's something like 10 minutes mm-hmm. into pleasure that mm-hmm. she's doing with her phone and i was like you know what i'm done but great movie <laughs> but yeah no i thought that was hilarious first poll quote not even accurate professional <laughs> that's great though but that's um, mother schmuckers i think that's that's mother yeah. is gross. Yeah, sometimes when a movie is that wild, you just you want to hear the the cackles from the back of the auditorium yeah. and the mm-hmm. the groans of disgust. The people uh, walking it, out, <laughs> like yeah, th- that's the thing. When you know somebody's walking out, you know you're watching something interesting at yeah, Sundance, exactly. and you, you don't quite Good get that bad. experience this year. Yeah. I think it was Brian Talerko who on Twitter mentioned uh, the complete opposite <laughs> that Coda is a movie that would have killed at the Eccles, and like mm. granted. Mm. I, it, I was like, I was cutting some onions at home while watching that movie, but Same. like it would have been even, even bigger, I oh, think, yeah. to be in a theater full of sniffling audience members. Yeah, absolutely. Easily. I would have yeah, loved to yeah. see In the Same Breath in a packed theater. I think that would have been a very interesting experience. Uh, <laughs> considering what it talks about. Oh, no. But I think the first one that I really... Uh, Ape for Silver, I, I know we're kind of mixed on the story yeah. uh, on the group here, but I, I wanted to I wanted to see the, that at the Ray because yeah. they got the Dolby the, Theater there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, the uh, sound Judas, and everything. Yeah, Judas and the Messiah. Like, I can go back since we've gone from 2017, and, like, I'm sure whatever your favorite movie was from last year, right? Whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. remember what theater you were in? I do. Mm-hmm. From two years ago, whatever movie that was. You remember what theater you were in? Judas and the Messiah is a movie I wanted to see in theaters. I wanted to see at Sundance. And I'm going to always remember that I saw it on my damn couch. And like yeah. at the same time, while I wish it was a Sundance, it's also kind of special. But yeah, like that would have been 
those Sundance movies that you wish you could you would have caught at the actual festival. Yeah, um, you did technically. It just so happened to be a different type of seat that you own. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a couple. I know Zach, you talked about specific scenes. That's also the dope part. It's like there, are, <laughs> it may not have been the whole movie, but there are some sequences in certain movies where you're like, damn, I, I wanted the reactions from everybody. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a moment very early on in passing mm-hmm. uh, when they're in the hotel suite, mm. and I just would have loved to hear like the ripples of laughter through the audience yeah. uh, when certain things are revealed. Uh, but I, I think actually your mention of Judas and the Black Messiah is, is a great transition point here for us to actually get into the movies. We're going to talk about every single feature film that played this year's Sundance. Gotcha. That's, again, we one of the advantages of this virtual platform. We got to cover it all. So if you saw it at Sundance, we will talk about it at some point in this review. You can always hit the description down below where I list out the time codes for different movies. Uh, but let's start it out with the spotlight section. And as you mentioned, Judas and the Black Messiah, a late addition to the Sundance slate, but maybe the best one. Uh, Obviously, this is a movie that is about to enter the Oscars race in a big way. It'll be available on HBO Max uh, next Friday. It's the story of Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. It stars Jesse Plemons, Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Martin Sheen, Dominique Fishback, Ashton Sanders, and more. Written by Will Benson and Shaka King. Directed by Shaka King. Art, I know this was one that blew you away. Mm -hmm. What is it that you loved about Judas and the Black Messiah? I thought One Night in Miami had the best ensemble. <laughs> then I see this movie. I was concerned that my top five top five actors were sat. And then I see Daniel Kaluuya. And I, I wasn't sure if he was going to be supporting or lead. I just knew he blew me away. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about how in the festival you can watch all these movies from the comfort of your own home. You're able to go to the next one. As soon as this was done, you could do a little thing called replay. Yeah. <laughs> and I replayed it because I always think before you give a movie five stars, you have to have at least seen it twice. It is five star. This is a five star movie. This has some of the best ensemble um, from everyone involved. Uh, it, the story was fantastic. And the way that it threads its way through, especially because I caught it again, the way that the beginning emulates the ending and even more so because it's a true story and the way that it's able to use a narrative of a drama, of a motion picture to then kind of. You know, we always talk about like these activist movies or, or movies dealing with activism. You know, they, they have to choose like a side. This defiantly chooses to be a movie, but does not look over the fact that it is still based on true events. And the way that it, it the movie disappears from it to come back to reality, I think is mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. But the movie itself is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Take away anything dealing with the real world, which obviously you cannot the way that you would look at crime dramas, this is that. You know, I know that yeah. off of the title alone, which is an incredible title, you got oh, the so assassination good. of Jesse James, right? You can make comparisons to that. I'd make comparisons to The Departed. I'd make comparisons to like classic films that we have seen. This hits all of that from the ensemble mm-hmm. to the writing to the characters. Jesse Plemons <laughs> does not get enough credit either. I, I can talk about, you know, Lakeith Kaluuya and Stanville, and yeah. Kaluuya. But like Jesse Plemons also brings so much to the role as well that that's I I was just completely floored and blown away by this movie. A lot of the lines and sequences that they had. There have been movies in the past that I feel, you know, they try to manipulate you into feeling a certain way. This movie is so effective at doing so. It scared me. This Mm -hmm. is one of the best of the year. I don't yeah. even know if it's supposed to be counted towards 21 or 2020, considering that it's in the Oscar yeah. race. That's I'm coming going up. 2021. I'm going 21, 21 too. Otherwise I'll count it for both. Yeah, count it for both. 
Uh, yeah, Amanda, how'd you feel about the movie? I thought it was incredible. Like, this was one of those ones that it, I've talked a lot about having issues focusing when watching movies from home, mm-hmm. uh, just because I have a lot of focus issues and uh, the theater kind of takes that away. Locked in. Completely yeah. locked in. It was just breathtaking. And, and like, art. I didn't start it again that night. I watched it again the next day. It was available, and, yeah. But yeah, but I also, once I finished with it, I was supposed to watch another movie right after that. And I was like, I just need time to like process mm-hmm. the story. You I just, just watched. Saw a I bought the book, The Assassination of Fred Hampton. Like I bought, like it's like an entire yeah by um okay. Jeffrey ha- Jeff- Jeffrey Haas. Not sure if it's good. It has good reviews, but like immediately I was like, I just want to know more about this story. Uh, mm-hmm. Just everything about this story. It's just everything is handled so well. Like sometimes when you get these um these kind of dramas like things will you'll get lags in the story you'll get mm-hmm. things that start feeling convoluted and or, or dips but this was just running perfectly the mm-hmm. entire time like everything was working it's exhilarating it's exhilarating it's heartbreaking it gives you a genuine perspective of both sides without really trying to pass a judgment in certain ways which i think is mm-hmm. really helpful and it just it just felt honest mhm I liked it a lot. It was great. Performances were amazing as well. Just, just really great. Dominique Fishbeck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is not going to get the attention she deserves. No. And she is to a degree the glue of the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. And absolute like the way that she's able. There's a certain sequence where her and Daniel are staring at each other in the midst of what you know the entire movement is supposed to be, and it's shots like that. That just, mm-hmm. just, they do it. They, it grounds the whole the, story down and makes it effective. Yep. The emotional climax of the movie is just trained close up on her face. And there, there's a reason. She really carries the emotional weight of this movie. And it does so admirably. You mentioned Jesse Plemons. Uh, I would say that this is another in the series of like, this guy is the new Philip Seymour Hoffman mm-hmm. performances. And I say Yo, that as like the highest words. compliment yeah. in, in the world. Uh, but, you know, we, we've talked around it, but Daniel Kaluuya and Leith Keith Stanfield here oh. are both giving career best yes. performances. And these are actors we like a lot. Leith Keith Stanfield is an actor we talk about incessantly yeah, on this podcast Lakeith, yeah. because they, they are just really dynamic, interesting uh, presences. They, they are often the best things in the projects they are a part of. Mm-hmm. And to see them at both at the top of their game is is electrifying here. Yeah. I, I'm rooting very much for uh, Kalia in, in supporting actor. Uh, it, it's a great movie. And I'm, it shouts to Shaka Khan for being able to incorporate uh, the history he, into a narrative that is this dynamic. You know, it, it's refreshing mm-hmm. to be able to see history uh, it portrayed in this way because it's something that a lot of people were noting is that a movie like this that takes this type of perspective on the Black Panther movement in general probably would not have been produced five years ago, yeah. maybe not ten, you know, ten years ago, definitely not. Uh, and and to be be given this glossy treatment, this really electric filmmaking with great performances and Classic. and great writing and dynamic music that keeps you into it too. It, it's just a really great movie. I, I you guys mentioned uh, that you followed up with the movie too. For me, one. Uh, measure for whether or not I liked it a lot at Sundance is if I actually did watch the Q&A and this is one where I, I watched the full did. Q&A yeah. immediately after the movie ended yeah. I just wanted to hear more from them so Absolutely. you know luckily this is one of the movies that's going to be out very soon so we'll and maybe talk about it again uh, on HBO yeah yeah, on HBO Max so it's going to be readily available so we'll Lucky be Americans. able to watch it again soon Lucky Americans <laughs> Yeah, uh, definitely lucky to, for the chance to watch Judas and the Black Messiah yet again. 
moving on to another spotlight movie, Night of the Kings. This is a film that we Art and I have both seen previously mm-hmm. at other festivals, and we both like quite a bit. This is, I believe, Ivory Coast's submission for uh, Best Foreign Language Film at the yes, Oscars, sir. and is thought by many to be one of the frontrunners to get a nomination in that category. Uh, you know, the story of a young man who's sent to a prison in the Ivory Coast that's ruled by the prisoners and uh, how he is tasked to tell a story to the other prisoners in order to save his life. I think it's a really interesting construction and dynamic story. Amanda, I don't know if you had any thoughts on the movie, uh, given that you got a chance to catch it. I did, yeah. I thought it was, uh, I really liked how it was put together and just like just the concept of of a prison being just run by prisoners in, in that way and them kind of like finding all the different roles for the people within the prison was really interesting and in, in how it comes together. Uh, you know, I feel like every few years we get these kind of like in prison movies that show that like, oh yeah, they have their own hierarchy, but in this, society, like, they, yeah. yeah, they literally have their own full society that is completely um, governed within rather than having that like at odds feeling. So that was, it was good, like really good. Mm-hmm. And they're festival run like I, mm-hmm. this was played at chicago last year i think i was able to catch it through philly but it, it was playing everywhere i think it played in new york i think it played at tiff yep. it's still playing now at sundance like that's the mm-hmm. beauty of the spotlight category it's they had two submissions this year spotlight's never more than like three or four and that just means yeah. that it's so good they can't count it as a premiere but it's like damn someone got to it first but we want to show it as well so this yeah. has been getting support all over the place and i know the director had a family member who was actually um imprisoned and that's where he mm-hmm. got all of this uh, interest in like seeing the hierarchy that they have there and then making like an Arabian Nights type story where someone has to keep mm-hmm. telling uh, this yeah. narrative. So yeah. it's very interesting. I want to catch this one again just because of like you got to get used to the way that the storytelling is being told, but it's a movie about mm-hmm. storytelling. So uh, that's what I find yeah. fascinating about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely a cool one uh, worth catching up with. It probably should be available pretty soon I hope since so. it's trying to make the Oscar rounds. So. The other movie that's in the spotlight section is also going to be out later in February. It's The World to Come, directed by Mona Fastvold. This is starring Casey Affleck, Christopher Abbott, Catherine Waterston, Vanessa Kirby. This is the North American premiere of this movie uh, about two neighboring couples battling hardship and isolation in the mid-19th century American East Frontier. Amanda, I know this is one of the ones that you were quite excited for going into Sundance. What do you think about it? I think Celine Siama ruined me, but (laughs) (laughs) I did like this movie. I I feel like it started a little bit like awkwardly and the way that the story's told made it a little bit iffy to feel kind of invested in uh in the the relationship and friendship of uh Vanessa Kirby and um uh Catherine Waterstone's characters uh, Abigail and Tally but as it goes on like then it gets nailed it's just I feel like it needed something in the beginning to just invest me a little bit more in that rather than just kind of like oh who's that and then suddenly it's just a thing it's not it's not bad, though, and it, it is one of those movies that you kind of have to get used to the fact that most of it is kind of being told through her journal entries. It's her reflecting mm-hmm. on thoughts, her reflecting on um, kind of just time spent. And then once it gets into actually showing you what's happening, I feel like it really kind of like takes it away. Again, just super just like gut-wrenching type movie towards the end and stuff. But uh, and, and it kind of left me wanting one particular I don't know, Tarantino-esque scene, I guess, that I didn't get. <laughs> um, but uh, overall, I really liked it. 
But yeah, I think in terms of some of these like period pieces like this, and I understand why the director specifically wanted it to be kind of like a, a looking back type thing and just addressing problems that people had back then. But uh, it's just it's just hard when everything is going to be compared to one of the best movies that's ever been made in this kind of area. <laughs> but uh, I'm down. The more of these that come out, the less you're going to start comparing them all. So that's great. That's, yeah. and that's literally what yeah. the director had said. It's yeah. like we compare after Parasite anything dealing with eating the rich to like Parasite. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same thing when it comes to portrait. And she had said that. She's like, mm-hmm. the problem is, is that we can have so many rom-coms and so many of these other things. But the mm-hmm. moment that you have like a a, still a handful piece. of these yeah, yeah. Uh, that people you know want to compare them all that there should be more yeah. and I agree there and there be. should be even more than that it should be yeah. different uh, yeah. couples in the forefront as well that aren't absolutely you know I guess the same type of archetype um, Casey yeah. Affleck produced this he was the one who was working on the script from long ago and I think that's years, my favorite part yeah. of the movie I really like the way that it's written it's supposed to be yeah, like it, kind of based off diary entries to a degree in yeah. the way that we follow their relationship yeah. beautifully shot I know she based it off paintings shot. Uh, and worked really hard to make sure that they could shoot the different scenes. I guess that was, she wanted every season featured and present in yes. this movie. And I feel like that was very important to the story itself mm-hmm. and how big. beautiful it ended up being. And they got that's what they got the pushback on. Because obviously, it's hard to film a movie that way. Mm-hmm. But they got you, it yeah, done. Yeah, because you have a so whole period of time where yeah. you're not going to be able to do anything. You're waiting for the seasons to change. Yeah, you're waiting for um, snow. You're waiting for rain, you know. Do you know her partner is uh, Brady Corber? From uh, Vox Lux. Oh. She helped write it. I didn't realize that. And he's an associate in this as well. So I'm a big fan of Brady. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed this movie very much as well. You know, I was looking at Vanessa Kirby. I'm a big fan of Waterstone as well. But then Christopher Abbott came out and I was like, oh, okay, he's the one. (laughs) Yeah, I know. His personality in this movie. I was like, oh, it's so great. Yeah. But no, yeah. I, I thought it was uh, Chris re- Abbott's not not afraid of taking uh, not. asshole characters. Which, but uh, that's two movies for him this Sundance as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's always king coming in with twofers. He's the so king. yeah, we yeah. call him the king of Sundance, and uh, I really enjoy this movie. I know it's going to come out in a couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. uh, I-, I think compared to many of the other ones, you know, Ammonite, I'd say this is better than that. Oh yeah, um, it is. And I'm curious to see how it does yeah. once it gets wide release. Yeah, if we have to, if we have to do our lesbians without electricity power ranking, it's obviously Portrait, Portrait. of Lady on Fire, The World to Come, and then Ammonite. But it's going to be a letterbox list. <laughs> it's like, I'm making it right now. <laughs> I do think this is actually a pretty good one. I, I, th- I like you guys mentioned with that diary entries. Diary entries. I think this film has a very lyrical quality. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. liked the the writing of those. I thought it was a lot of like pretty sentences were said, which yes. you know that that's not nothing, right? Like I think it is just a very the prose in this movie is good a lot of the time, and that is something that is enjoyable about art when when writing is good. It does have. I think the thing that I responded to is the element of 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 love as this kind of glimmer of hope amongst sadness, right? And mm-hmm. in this setting, at the frontier, without the modern qualities of life that we're accustomed to, they lived very uh, unhappy lives for the most part. Yeah. And it, it, I think this the the relationship serving as this shining bit of hope amongst that I, I think the movie gets across that idea really well and I think the performances really do that you know I, I don't know if I needed Casey Affleck to be doing his Casey soft comeback uh, in this movie but yeah. yeah I guess if he helped produce it then that's kind of good I'm not forgetting who he is yeah, exactly. uh, but yeah 
it's I don't know. I enjoyed this one. I, I think it's worthwhile. Uh, I, I'm hoping people give it a chance and don't just dismiss it as some portrait of a lady on fire clone. Y'all have a favorite line? Yeah. There was well, one there's some funny that. ones, but I, I like the I've never been fond of cages or something like that. I've not, mm, you know, pretty good. Yeah. What's yours? My favorite. My favorite was after they kissed. You smell like biscuits. <laughs> you smell like biscuits. That was a good one. It's a good one. It's good. Abbott one. has some oh. good ones that are like chilling. Mm-hmm. Like, and I like the director actually talks about um, mental illness and people not mm-hmm. even really knowing what that was back then. So therefore not having any way yeah. to deal with it. Like yeah. Abbott's got a few things going on there. Oh yeah, um, his biblical line. I yeah, wouldn't even the, say what it is. He's got this one where he quotes the Bible. Yeah, he's starting. He's just yelling it. He's just like, blah 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 blah, duh, like through a door, <laughs> yeah. and it's like all of that, and it goes from like this person who's like, oh, maybe he's just kind of like awkward and bad in social situations, but ultimately kind, mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, beautifully really shot, beautifully written. Yeah, I think it's a do well. All right. All right, so uh, let's go from that to the premieres category, mm-hmm. uh, where so, some of the more exciting movies make their debut. These are these are usually tend to be some of the more higher end or higher budgeted films in the festival. Stuff that is maybe a little bit too well, a, a little bit too well funded to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be in the competitions, that. but it's still some yeah. under the radar stuff and, and worthwhile stuff. One of the last premieres of the festival is a documentary called Amy Tan, Unintended Memoir. Amy Tan has established herself as one of America's most respected literary voices, born to Chinese immigrant parents. It would be decades before the author of the Joy Luck Club would fully understand the inherited trauma rooted in the legacies of women who survived the Chinese tradition of concubinage. Art, you are the only one of us, I think, that got to check this one out. What did you think about this? I think that with a lot of these docs, people are expecting filmmakers to do crazy stuff and they're forgetting that many docs are they they're just gonna go through people's lives Mm -hmm. so they can't really be called generic it's just this is the way that we're recapping their lives like not everything is going to be this across the universe or some insane uh type thing and at a certain point i mean there's you know it's like when you listen to podcasts there comes a certain point where you're like ah i get it and it's gonna be the mystery is gonna be left open but it was racism in america it's going to be these personal tales. And I thought Amy Tans was really interesting because her big story is venting about her mom and the stuff that they get into and how a lot of her stories were inspired by the trauma that her mom went through, which in, in, in verse, you know, to kind of talk about what was it? Uh, I wanted, it was a Netflix one. I think it would have been Russian doll, those flashback sequences with her mother. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is like something that actually happened to her and how it uh, informed her writing. But then also after taking all that trauma, once you become this really big established writer, you know, uh, the book turned into a movie that played at Sundance. That was this huge, massive hit. Then you become an idol to an entire population of people who want to see you do a certain thing. And now you're representative of them in the culture. And how dare you make this look like that? Or how dare you have a broken accent? And I thought it really uh, entered that pocket in where she's discussing that she cannot combine the two. We were just talking about I can't be a full activist and then a fiction writer without compromising one or the other. So I thought it was a pretty interesting, well-made movie that was also uh, the director was James Redford. Son. Yeah, I was going to say James Redford, Redford was uh, Robert Redford's son, and he unfortunately passed away late last year. It, yeah. Does that get mentioned in the movie? Do you see it's affected by his passing? No, but they mentioned up at the beginning that he was able to see different cuts of the movie, but he never got to see the final cut. 
of the film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they just, you know, they paid tribute to him uh, early on when they presented it. Um, wow. But yeah, this was this was one of the final stuff that he did. And uh, it was a good story to see just her, her behind the scenes and everything that she did uh, in her career because hmm. one hell of a career. Very cool. Next up in the premieres category is another documentary called Bring Your Own Brigade, hey, you got this directed one. by Lucy Walker. This is a character-driven verite investigation uh, embedded with firefighters and residents of Paradise, California, on a mission to understand the historically large wildfires and how to survive them. Uh, obviously, 2020, uh, aside from being a devastating year in, in many regards, primarily coronavirus it also was a devastating year globally for these wildfires on fire uh we literally california in particular had crazy wildfires last year and i was not really looking forward to watching a documentary documenting it because it's just like it's it's such a sad story is is all these homes and communities devastated by this massive force of nature that we are unable to contain yet i think lucy walker in her approach finds so many different aspects to uh what's going on with wildfires that i i was not expecting to it's just a, a really interesting deep dive into all the different corners of why these fires are happening in 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 greater frequency and are more damaging than they've been, uh, how we try to fight them and also why sometimes our efforts don't work. You know, in a way, this is a movie that explains why we have awful politicians in office who work against their own interests while also being the story about uh, fires. It, it, it tells you a story about society and what things we are willing to do and not do in order to uh, combat the issues around us. It's it's a ultimately very fascinating piece of work. Uh, I like this one quite a bit. It was one of my late watches, but I, I thought it was a, a great documentary. I'd highly recommend nice. it. And it's becoming a genre in and of itself. Last year, the what's his name had done a doc that also played Ron at Sundance. Howard did, yeah. Uh, Fantasia Fest I mean, had Dark Divide, <laughs> which was a narrative mm-hmm. version of how trees are being pushed to the edges that they they get the landlines. But it's like, no, we need to cut down more trees, so we're expanding it. We're expanding it. We're expanding it. Um, hell, even uh, Thanos himself was in a movie not too long ago playing a firefighter. Uh, so we've been getting a lot of these. But I think look, we should you, invest that money into actually fixing the right, yeah, <laughs> fix the right. problem, first. Yeah. Look, you got a state that is constantly on fire and full of filmmakers. You're bound to get some movies about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. But I'm glad this one's good. Can't wait to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight for Silver is written and directed by Sean Ellis. It's in, set in the late 1800s mm-hmm. where a man arrives in a remote village to investigate an attack by a wild animal but discovers a much deeper sinister force that has both the manor and the townspeople in its grip. This film stars Boyd Holbrook amongst others. Amanda, I know you like this one. What was it about Eight for Silver that worked? I thought it was just such a unique take on a story that's been done so many different ways, so many different times and so often the same. And I'm not discrediting other ones. I'm not usually, I'm not really a fan of like monster movies, but I'm down with werewolves. I'm down with the vampires. And this did such an interesting job with the character design and the reason why there are werewolves in this scenario, which I really enjoyed. I think that once you do see kind of like the full monster, that doesn't look so great, but like, Mm-hmm. How they're tra- when they transform is breathtaking. There's a a scene 
in the middle that is just so unique on the take of Werewolf that I, that alone ma- mm-hmm. to me makes this worth watching. And just, I feel like it had so much steam right out of the gate. And I just think it needed a little bit of reworking in areas to make this because some people just really hate this movie. I do mm-hmm. think it's falling into a thing where it's like, it does a couple jump scares, but it's never going to please the oh jump scares crowd. And it does, it tries to do the slow burn horror, but it's never going to meet the lengths <laughs> of like an Ari Aster or a um, Lighthouse, Robert... Uh, Eggers. Eggers? Yeah, Eggers. Yeah, uh, Eggers. It's never going to meet that. So it's, it's just there's something there that's missing to like really elevate this for like the mm-hmm. average crowd and the average moviegoer and the art house yeah. moviegoer. But like, I liked it. That, I had a great time with yeah. it. Yeah. I don't see it as like, uh, she, you're 100% correct. This being released regularly in theaters, it would have done pretty well. It would have been yeah. a great popcorn movie. Like The yeah. Wolfman didn't play in festivals, I don't think. I hope no, it, it didn't. didn't. You know, yeah. but that would that was a movie that Guillermo was back in and it did its thing. This is mm-hmm. up there in the same way. I've been following Sean Ellison's Metro Manila. That was one of the first movies I did on a must-watch video back in the A to Z days. So he's been on my radar for the longest time. And I agree with everything Amanda said. Yeah. Two things I disliked. But there's some tropes. I agree yeah, with the jump scares. There was some that got me. Yeah, same. Okay, fool me I was once, like, oh fool me twice. By the third time, you, we ain't done. doing this no more. Yeah, but I like the time period. I, I they mm-hmm. have an aesthetic with this that you're just invested in this tone. Yes, and the only things that take you out of it is when you actually see some of the CGI that they did, and that sucks because everything else prior to that, there are limbs being cut. Yeah, Woo! they <laughs> did a fantastic job with yeah. that. The that transformation. Overshot? Yeah. The- Mm. beautiful there are some mm-hmm. really great shots in this movie that this was the first one that i wanted to see in a theater specifically yeah. the ray i would have loved to see this in adobe type theater mm-hmm. i think they can rework some things so that uh they can fix some of the cgi i understand there's some tropes with the uh story dealing with the werewolf but there mm-hmm. is also a little bit and they talked about it in the q a slightly a metaphor dealing with how they went about the approach to what this thing does mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed it just as much as Amanda. I think people yeah. should give this one a, 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 mm-hmm. a shot. But I know, yeah, Zach, sure. you liked it a little bit less. Yeah, I'm definitely on the lower end uh, compared to both of you. I, I did not hate this one, but I, I found lots of elements of it to be pretty silly. I liked the lore that you guys are talking yes. about. I liked That's the cool. buildup to it and, and the type of world building it was trying to do. But and granted i'm not much of a feature creature guy whatever mm-hmm. but it, once it got into more of the creature randomly selecting and hunting down people and questionable cgi stuff i it took me out of it made me not really interested in I it and and this is also in comparison to a lot of other horror movies kind of long i think this was one of the few sunnets movies that's plus 2 hours yeah. uh, and i do think you feel that length at times but you know there there's a lot to admire about this one and and some really innovative stuff you know i think you hear werewolf movie and you have a more specific idea and this is not going to be that movie it's a so, beautiful long uh, shot at the beginning fun fact the yeah. credits literally said hashtag #film is not dead <laughs> I missed that. Do you shoot this on film? He shot it on film. I believe so, because right. that's what he said at the end of it. Uh-huh. Uh, and he literally It'd be a weird like, hashtag otherwise. Hashtag film is not dead. And it was there in the yeah. camera section at the end. Oh, wow. We believe in movies. That's what he said. I love that. But yeah, I would be totally be down to follow pathologist John on some more adventures. <laughs> you know? I'm down. 
continuing in the premiere section with How It Ends, written and directed by Daryl Wine and Zoe Lister-Jones. Set on the last day on Earth, one woman goes on a journey through L.A. to make it to her last party before the world ends, running into an eclectic cast of characters along the way while her younger self is in tow. You have Zoe Lister-Jones and a slew of celebrity cameos in this one Art, what did you think about how this it This is going to be Z- Art's uh, biggest disappointment of the uh, first time. Yeah, you, you were excited for this one. I mean, it's our girl, Zoe. Zach, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited for this one. He was. It, what I would say is that it has extreme made for YouTube in 2013 energy. And like you can, it, it's obviously a result of the coronavirus, right? But from the stripped down limited scope of its production with the lack of you know sets and it's just different streets they're walking down and there's no like extras or stuff happening behind them plus the idea and the feeling that it's the creator just calling together all her different friends all her all the celebrities she knows a sketch here the the sandler effect the sandler effect you know (laughs) it Mm. it feels just super super loose and not really polished and not rewritten to the point where it's all funny it's a series of sketches and the hit rate is pretty low honestly i really liked the Mm -hmm. olivia wilde bit i really liked the lamorne morris bit i don't think i liked any other bits and even those stretch out by the time that they're done you're like oh we're still gonna keep going we're still gonna keep going those would have been the snl sketches where you're like cut to the commercial break and call it a day at that point look i we i was saying that a lot of the comedies this year they pitch themselves as comedies, but they're really dramedies, Dramas, and they're more on the yeah, drama, drama side. They're really trying to get you to that. And this, again, uh, it's done by Daryl Wayne and Zoe Lister. They go by Lister Mister because they are a couple. They have their it's own cute. production company. I love that. I love Band Aid. One of my favorite movies to come out of Sundance. Underrated. Mm-hmm. Underrated, to be honest with you. Just just caught it when we made the craft video. Still <laughs> love it. And this just wasn't fully there. Uh, yeah, no. I, I agree with you. Just a lot of the sketches just don't hit it, the way that yeah. it should. But it is, it's, there's an interesting self, I don't want to say self-improvement, but a self, I don't know what you would call it. Yes. That a, a lot of movies carried throughout Sundance. That was a big theme as well of just yeah. being very introspective. And again, that also comes mm-hmm. through the pandemic. Yeah. But that comedy is, it's not that it misses. It just, so many foul balls. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. That part needed to be handled a little bit better. And I think across the board, a lot of people, even if you're fans of these people who come in to do these bits, it's like, yeah. But what? Not how it ends. It just I feel like, should have ended a little bit faster. I feel like it's a thing that people would describe as quirky because you can't quite call it funny. But I don't nah. know if it's really quirky. No, either. She, she's really funny. And in the interview, she's still just as yeah. funny. So this yeah. is just. I, the weird thing easy. is I liked her performance in this. Yeah, like, I thought fine. Yeah, her she performance was, is great. Yeah. And there's shots that are hilarious. That pancake shot. Like, I want that as a still. There's just like funny imagery yeah. in the movie. But it's the imagery that's a little bit more funny than the actual dialogue. Yeah. I think the funniest line for me was just the only assignment is death. Like that was, <laughs> yeah, that was the best bit for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted a little bit more. Yeah. But. Definitely. Ben Wheatley has a new movie here at Sundance as well called In the Earth. After a disastrous virus grips the planet. It sounds familiar. A scientist and a park scout venture deep into the forest for a routine equipment run. Through the night, their journey becomes a terrifying voyage through the heart of darkness as the forest comes to life around them. Art, I think you like this one quite a little bit, maybe more than I did. I don't like the editing. 
This is again another movie shot through COVID. <laughs> there is a bunch of strobe lights. There's some really weird stuff that happens, and he edited it too, by the way. But this is the Wheatley I prefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, is we know he just came off of Rebecca on Netflix. He's doing the Meg too. Oh my god! What like what? He's doing. <laughs> That's Tomb actually a good Raider? fit for him. Tomb Raider too. Hey, we'll see. Okay, he's taking these bigger stuff. I like when he does something weird like this. I, I believe you guys had compared it to like a, Annihilation Light. Um, I to me, it's his version of the happening. <laughs> that's how I saw it. Um, <laughs> I didn't yep. see it, but that's that really makes me want to watch yeah. it. <laughs> uh, Zach, Zach had some interesting insights on the the music, which I know has been the standout for most. Well, yeah, I mean, it's got this really interesting score. Clint Manzel, who's a guy, who one of my favorite film composers did some really interesting stuff. I think he posted to Twitter a picture of him capturing sound waves off of plants to implement that yeah. into his score. Nice. I think aesthetically this is a really interesting movie, and I, I like a lot of the shots, and, uh, you know, there's sequences that are really interestingly edited. I know I know you have a problem with parts of it, but I think there's obviously some filmmaking mm-hmm. flair on display. I just there think it kind of adds up to not much, you know? I, I just didn't really follow much of what was happening or or want to care that much it feels like it takes a long time to reveal what the story is even about yes Mm -hmm. and by the time it gets there i just was not interested i I was you know very confused and and just trying to sort of get my bearings i think it's a movie that's exciting for for small stretches but ultimately not that not that great although i'm generally down on ben wheatley there's not a lot of his work that i love again i would i'm curious to see the lore whatever he was trying to build there in terms of that that was the most confusing part but uh, i did like the characters even the ones that i hated i thought they were very effective (laughs) what they were supposed to be (laughs) yeah in the same breath directed by nanfu wang it's a documentary about how the chinese government responded to the pandemic and also how the u.s government did art you were the only one of us to catch this it's one of the five or sorry six films that debuted on day one of the festival Mm -hmm. what'd you think so i had this like pretty high and then more movies come in and then you know you give yourself some time to think this Mm -hmm. bad boy moved up like five slots um (laughs) she did it brian fogel would be proud director of the dissident she is coming in with that heat you we said this as soon as covid started and we were doing some of the festivals that oh we're going to be getting so many of these quarantine movies and this year has been an interesting amalgamation of some have been filmed during covid or because of covid this is a doc obviously about it but there have been so many movies with quarantine that we're going to be getting that mm-hmm. were made before the pandemic even came so it's very interesting to see that one those were in the works but that two those were also the ones that were chosen to be in here so a mm-hmm. lot of quarantine yeah. stuff she did it uh, she pits what happens in China to what happens in the U.S. in such an interesting way. We have gotten 76 days, which I think is a very good look at, uh, more of a verite look of just seeing what was happening, again, from a director here in America who had two photographers or two videographers, journalists who were there at the time. She did the same thing. She couldn't go to China. She goes to China every year. So there's also mm-hmm. her own personal tale about her family being over there while she's over here and how she had people mm-hmm. over there, some who also had to remain anonymous, capturing a lot of the footage. She does some crazy montages dealing with the propaganda that was done over there and then how she compares it to what we went through here in America. I like it more and more the more I think about it. The title is mm-hmm. so – it's such a perfect title for this movie. And I, I mentioned Brian Fogel and such because – they were knocking at her mama's door because she made this doc. 
but she can't go over there to see them. So I highly recommend this one. I know that her previous film, uh, One Child Nation, got the Amazon mm. Prime pickup. So I'm hoping that this one also yeah. gets mm-hmm. it as well because she's got one banger of an ending line in this. I want to I want to talk more about this with y'all. This yeah, this one's been in the back of my mind for a long time. I was not expecting a COVID movie to be this high up on my list, but she did her thing. Very good. Awesome. Yeah, what? definitely want to check that out. That's Same. one of the ones that I uh, feel most uh, frustrated to have missed during the festival, but. I'm sure that'll Good. get a release at some point. Uh, let's talk about Land, another movie that's coming not too f- long from now. I think it's also going to be out by the end of February. It's direct- written and directed, or is it just directed by? Just directed yeah. by Robin Wright, her directorial debut. It's a story of one woman's search in the aftermath of an unfathomable event for meaning in the vast and harsh American wilderness, also starring Robin Wright with Damian Bashir and Kim Dickens. Art, I know you caught this one as well. What did you think of Robin Wright's directorial debut? I almost wasn't going to catch this one, but uh, I know that when it gets released, it's going to be nineteen ninety nine, and since we already paid <laughs> for a pass, I made sure to catch it over here as well. Uh, at first, I thought it was going to be like her nomad land because she just, yeah, she just a city woman goes up into the woods, and the dude who drops her off is like, "You don't want the car? You don't? You don't know how to hunt? <laughs> what are you going to be doing out here?" Um, and as the story unfolds, it is kind of like that uh, person in nature, and they're trying to take it in. They're trying to live this new life. Mm-hmm. I personally did like some of the stuff that they revealed towards the end of why she is there and then the the relationship she has with Bashir as well. I know you liked it a little bit less. I don't think it's like the fantastic yeah. movie, but this is exactly what I expect to be in the premieres. A movie that has already picked up, already has a release date. It is not here to yeah. sell. It is just here to premiere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not too much to say that this is a movie in some ways about grief. And yeah. in that respect, I don't think it has that much novel to say about grief, which is, I That's think, fair. why it doesn't land, land pun, eh. I guess, intended eh. with me. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, this movie is kind of almost distracted by the prettiness of the wilderness. There's so many shots that linger on the nature and uh, just revel in the beauty of being in the outdoors. And, you know, I could appreciate that, but I just, I think I wanted a little bit more from the story. I think I wanted a little bit more from the characters. Uh, Not bad. And uh, Robin Wright's very good in this one, but yeah, I think it was just a, a little bit thin. Uh, Marvelous in the Black Hole, written Let's and directed go. by Kate Sang, a teenage delinquent befriends a surly magician who helps her navigate her inner demons and dysfunctional family with sleight of hand magic in a coming of age comedy that touches on unlikely friendships, grief, and finding hope in the darkest moments. Amanda, I know that this was a delight for you. It was a delight. This is like, it's not necessarily doing anything special, but I will always no. and 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 yes, this was probably other than like a couple of you know some language and like maybe a couple on screen visuals that weren't horrible. This would be this would fit in the kid category. Yeah, it feels yes. like a PG movie. Yeah, but I will always appreciate some kind of coming of age story that has nothing to do with a romantic interest. I love mm-hmm. the stuff that ha- like obviously romantic interests are very important to coming of age stories, but I can also appreciate it when it's all like we don't even need to try to fit that in here and we can mm-hmm. just focus on the family dynamic, what's happening, why is the situation happening, and how do you get through to the other side. This was just it was nice. That's it was cute. really nice. And there's gonna be kids that watch this and they're gonna like relate to this main character mm-hmm. so yeah. much. Like they're gonna relate so hard. I don't know, I really liked it. It was cute. 
it's just you can't you're not going to feel bad after watching a movie like this and you know the world needs mm-hmm. more of that this is going to be did netflix end up picking this up because my brain is always like this is my gonna brain's fit already on netflix. saying netflix. it'd be perfect for them perfect the, for netflix. the the main actress she was already in a netflix feature she was in rim, uh, rim of the world she was doing yeah. all her interviews with that in the back yeah. so I was like, this is literally that is the best outlet to have this in you know like every mm-hmm. kid has netflix and the whole point mm-hmm. of this story i have not seen so you've grown attached a director's short film about mm. an imaginary friend and having to leave them I'm very interested in that because, again, the whole point of this movie is not necessarily even grief, but just being able to express yourself through art. But the yeah. idea of you may not even have that form of expression. You don't even know what the art is yet. Yeah. So you don't even have the tool to even express yourself yet. And she said, this was the movie I wish I had growing up. Mm-hmm. So to have that on Netflix would be perfect. I agree. Yeah. It's a cute little uh, movie. Kate Singh, the, the writer-director, I think also did some work writing on Adventureland. And I feel like you can, mm. can feel that mm-hmm. a little bit okay. in this movie because there's just like a, a an ex, an excess to the aesthetic. It's very uh, – the dials are turned up. They're, the emotions are a little bit loud when things happen. Sometimes there's like some sparkles or whatever. I, I liked the style of this movie. I think it's fun. Uh, I think it's kind of kitschy and cute. And, I yeah, I think it's just going to be an enjoyable watch. I hope that – that it does live on a platform like Netflix so that 10 and 11 year olds can sneak mm-hmm. this movie behind their parents back even mm-hmm. though it has a couple uh, S and F bombs in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's like a the kids movie. movie with language. Yeah. So they're going to exactly. love it even more, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a kid's movie that's not pandering to kids. Yes. I think it's just authentic to the experience of youth. Yep. And it, it's just fun. I, uh, it was a breath of fresh air for the festival because I think a lot of times you get pretty dour or, or like downtrodden movies in a festival yeah. heavy stuff and this was not that at all so mm-hmm. that was a nice bomb even though it has some sadder elements to it it is it is a pick me up mass written and directed by fran Speaking of the, the most delightful film in the festival no uh this Ooh. is this is definitely uh going from the lightest to one of the heavier films in the festival. Uh, The film is about uh, years after a tragic shooting. It's the parents of both the victim and the perpetrator meeting face to face. It's a excellent showcase for its cast. Jason Isaacs and Dowd, Martha uh, Plimpton and Reed Barney. It's this really beautifully observed film uh, that plays out much like a play because it takes place in this one room for the most part mm-hmm. as the parents go back and forth uh, discussing the the different aspects of this event that changed both their lives. I feel like it's a movie that walks across like this empathy tight wire where where you you the entire time even as people maybe show their worst selves or their their failings, you still just completely understand where they're coming from. And I think the emotional intelligence of this movie is so uh, striking and well done by Fran Kranz to be able to articulate that. And I, I also think it's a really well-paced film that, you know, in a lot of ways you feel like you could get trapped in a movie like this, waiting for something to happen. But I never really felt bored. I was, mm-hmm. I was waiting for what's going to ha- where are they going to go what's the next turn going to happen uh, in the dynamics of this conversation i was pretty struck by this film for you know being a actor's directorial debut i think sometimes you don't expect much but this is a festival that had a couple great directorial debuts from actors and uh this one was maybe my favorite of those amanda what did you think of mass uh it was very heavy like there's really no other way to put it than heavy um mm-hmm. 
I feel like at this point they're it's one of these things everyone's like if you can go into it without knowing what the story's about it'll be to your benefit because it's almost like the beginning yeah. is dancing around for what 45 is it? Like, minutes what, yeah like what could they be talking about what could be this thing that they're dancing around so intensely so I guess if you just want to trust and go into it not that it's it's I don't even think you can avoid it and it doesn't make it any worse for knowing um, it's an incredibly sensitive topic that could have gone either way this could have been the most horribly exploitative movie in the world that didn't work at all but I think they handled it incredibly well I think there might have been a couple areas where they went down some like trope ideologies a little bit too much and how the characters were like there's one specific part with Jason Isaacs but for the most part they handled it super well and uh, it's it's just one of these stories. Are we going to just say what it's about? Like, is that okay? I, I think I said that in the in the breakdown okay. what it's about. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's so like there, everybody. Um, there's no one. It, it just it's it's tough to be a parent in this situation either way, and I feel like people probably often forget what the parent of the shooter would probably be feeling because mm-hmm. in so many of these situations they were trying, they were loving parents, and there's only so much you can do. Like teenagers do go through phases where they're depressed, where they're dealing with a lot of emotions because you're a teenager and you have hormones and stuff, and it's like knowing when to back off and when to put push harder, and so often they're not able to grieve in the same way because obviously your child has done something yeah. horrible, but they were still your child. So you're trying to process what happened. And I think that this movie handled that so incredibly well. There's a moment where you think you're going to be in the clear and then it comes back for the biggest gut punch of them all. Yeah, this was this is a hard watch, like have a box of tissues ready. Like that's the biggest recommend. Um, but they handled it really well. Mm-hmm. I don't think it gets exploitative. I don't think it yeah. gets to whatever. But I do think there is a certain point in that first almost hour and 40 minutes where it does get exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the conversations are obviously trying to not straight to the political and straight more. Because like you can't not dip. You can't not, not take a detour to, to the political yeah. side of it. right? But they're And that's kind it. of an element of the movie, too, they, where they, they yeah. mention politics but don't want to get bogged down in politics. Uh, but they have to talk politics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, this has been one of the ones that I've been struggling to, like, is it a three and a half or is it a four for me? I know some people mm-hmm. like it even more. I know some people like it even less yeah. because, as yeah. Zach has said, it does very much come off with the, the biggest tropes is that it feels like a play. And yes. Amanda said yeah. it. You know, you, you're spending 45 minutes knowing because you read the synopsis some people, what it's about yeah. some people are like it feels like a play and some people are like it feels like a play yeah exactly yeah. Like <laughs> exactly yeah um, and it is and, really and the, trying all... to play up the idea like oh what is this going to be about but it's like it's in the title it's called Mass. it's in the title so like, like there's two things it could be about it very yeah. much is an actor's role right this is a yes. performance movie mm-hmm. i'm sure even in the screenwriting uh bits of it i don't know if you guys remember the movie carnage yeah yeah so that's like the comedic version of a discussion happening in one place. This is the who, how fast can we drain one of these parents? Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, for so for me, it's like that would be where I think it gets. I don't even want to say that it's bad. It just it gets exhausting. But then, like Amanda said, mm-hmm. out of the four actors in this film, it's Anne Dowd, and Anne Dowd, Dowd is yeah. the reason why it comes back, and she is holding mm-hmm. so much weight without even saying, you know, the speech that she gives. But it, it is the part that, that stays with you and it sticks with you. I don't know so much about the directing, 
it, they do interesting things on who they cut to when someone is saying a line and whose mm-hmm. reaction mm-hmm. they want you to see instead. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why I want to catch it again. But I think Anne Dowd's going to be the one who's who's who we're, we'll be talking about for the longest time because of her performance I in this agree. movie. I agree. I feel like Jason Isaacs had some of the lines that got a little He's bit good. overly exhausting. He was great. He was great, but he had some of the lines that felt more exhausting. Read Bernie. I wanted to punch him in the face a couple times. Yo, um, so it's like it's I can't give something a negative review, right? When it's effective at me wanting to slap him right. across the face. I know. I, know. I, just wanted... I think he's really good in the role. It's just they were he has going the more for... aggravated character. Yeah, and I think that's what they were going for, that he's kind of gone a little yeah. bit flat with it. He's kind of had to almost dissociate a little bit from things. So he's a little yeah. bit more blunt. And but then sometimes I'll just do things and I'm all like, have like a little bit of heart here, man. Like yeah. you're just being rude to everyone around you. Like, but uh, it's it's the moms. It's it's Martha Plimpton, Plimpton, yep. and very specifically Anne Dowd. Like they really drive this like incredibly. Like Martha Plimpton reminded me of one of my friend's moms, and I was just like, <laughs> damn, that hits. Yeah, they yeah. all played a specific, a very specific role. I can't wait for this mm-hmm. to be out and for us to discuss. The com- it's a conversation mm-hmm. piece. It's and a conversation piece. Ab- Can't wait. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I know for some people maybe that that the the length or the pacing doesn't work as well. I think for me, this is a movie where when they would sit in silence for an extended period of time, I felt like I was in that room and I like I got it. Um, and, and for some people, I think okay. it's going to click like that too. Mm-hmm. Maybe not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, honestly, I would have loved to have seen this on on Broadway or something. Yeah. I, I still think there there's a there's a play there's an here. adaptability yeah. there. Yeah, go the other way. Yeah, yeah. My name is Polly Murray, directed by Betsy West and Julie Cohen. About the overlooked historical figure Polly Murray, a legal trailblazer who influenced RBG and mm-hmm. Thurgood Marshall. It's got some beho- never before seen behind the scenes footage, audio record- recordings to give you a portrait of Murray's impact as a non binary black luminary, a lawyer, an activist, a poet, and priest who transformed the world. Art, this is one of the movies that we caught very late in the festival. Did it make an impact with you? Um, just like with Amy Tan, I think these are both very interesting looks on figures that I don't think a lot of people know too much about. Specifically with this one, it was the directors of RGB, another movie that had mm-hmm. played at Sundance not too long ago. And it was because of them doing the documentary with RGB. RBG. that the, what, Did I say wrong? RBG. What did I say? RGB? RGB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My bad. Uh, the the fact that they were able to like learn about her and they're like, we didn't know as much. But there was one thing that Pauli Murray did. She had everything documented. And that's how you get such a precise look at her story. That I found fascinating. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they, a lot of these documentaries, they look back, right? And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. if that person was here to see what they've done. What this movie does is they look back and they go, she worked not to get to the point we're at now. She worked to what we're still working towards. So it's not so mm-hmm. much looking back, but it's, uh, what did I write? I said, it's, it's reminding you to continue looking forward. And that was like the yeah. part at the end that I was like, ooh, that one, that part really hit. It's also a really good uh, example of how sometimes when you hear things like, oh, you know, this is like a the idea of transgenders is a new issue. Like, no, it's no. not. Just look at history. You just weren't paying mm-hmm. attention to it before. And yeah. this is what a figure like I, I didn't know who Polly Murray was before yeah. the Sundance Film Festival. And I, I think that's a failure of my education to not to yeah. not know this figure, because obviously this these were very impactful uh, teachings or ideas that were put forth from this person. So I I think 
you know, hopefully this is going to be uh, something that people get the chance to see. You know, I, I think I tend to save the documentaries that are kind of just profiles of a person for, for later because they tend to not be so remarkable in their construction. But sometimes it, it, you get you hear enough from the person and the person is interesting enough that it makes it worthwhile. So, and I think this is that this is a good example of that where they showed you her writings, they showed you her words and it's the stuff that really jumps off the page. Yeah. Again, they're, I don't think any of the documentaries this year were bad. They just may not be, you know, doing crazy stuff like Sparks Brothers, but they're mm-hmm. still, like you said, mm-hmm. these profiles t- telling you about these people that we don't know uh, much about. And again, they even said this is only scratching the surface. So there is a lot more uh, mm-hmm. stories and anecdotes yep. and stuff to, to be told. Uh, I don't know if you want to spend just a little bit of time on Philly DA, the first two episodes of what will be an eight-episode series on PBS. Yes, sir. I think they said it's premiering in April. Yeah, uh, spring. Showed at showed at Sundance. It's a look inside the long-shot election and tumultuous first term of Larry Krasner, Philadelphia's district attorney, a progressive elected to an office typically uh, occupied by uh, prosecutors and not defense attorneys. It's, it's a really fascinating political look at what it's like trying to steer a, a tanker from mm-hmm. the inside, right? He, it's, he's trying to turn around this institution that has been moving in a different direction for a long time. Uh, it, it's a good pairing with some documentaries that we really liked from last year, including City Surreal and City Hall, in showing you the the hard work and difficulties in bureaucracy. I thought it was great. I was riveted by both episodes. Art, what'd you like? Uh, I call like it, about it. I call it Philly So Real. Uh, they also mm-hmm. played Sundance premiere, premiered City So Real, which is about Chicago, and that is up on Hulu for you to watch. Mm-hmm. I believe it may even be free through National Geographic. This one's going to be released through PBS as well, and Topic, mm-hmm. which is the new like doc streaming service. But I've been really appreciating that PBS had City Hall up all four and something hours of that movie. Again, this was only the first two episodes of eight, so I only caught part of the first episode. But, you know... It looks it looks pretty good. I would add Dear Philadelphia, which was a short that played. Mm. So that also gets into a lot of the more what is it like ground roots level of the changes that they're trying to do at Philly. And there's going to be a lot of Philly stories coming out because they have. I love Philadelphia. Like I, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, I I've gone every single time I go to New York. I always make sure to stop there. Like literally, I've Great stopped city. there so many times. Pittsburgh once. So and Pittsburgh's beautiful. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not bashing Pittsburgh at all. But uh, Philly has so much history. Philly has so much going yeah. for it, mm-hmm. and it deserves to have way more movies. And I'm glad that it's getting a lot of these docs. So this one, I'm looking forward to finishing all eight episodes. But also catch Dear Philadelphia, a short that also played at Sundance. Let's talk Prisoners of the Ghostland, the latest from Scion Sono about a notorious criminal sent to rescue an abducted woman who has disappeared into a dark supernatural universe. They must break the evil curse that binds them and escape the mysterious revenants that rule the Ghostland in an East meets West vortex of beauty and violence. This one stars Sophia Boutel, Nick Cassavetes, Bill Mosley, Tak Sakaguchi, uh, Yuzuka Naka, uh, Nakaya, and of course, Nicolas Cage. Amanda, what did you think about this insane movie? Why'd you give it five out of five? I didn't. I gave it a two and a half. I know that I know that this is kind of like Sonos thing. His movies are kind of yep. like crazy poetry. 
But I just got the impression it really felt like he was like, we're going to make everybody in this movie so <laughs> wild and insane and unhinged that Nicolas Cage looks normal by comparison in a movie where he yells out testicle. So... <laughs> And if he still came across as the most normal person, the second most normal person in this movie, I don't know. Um, there was parts of this I really liked, but I just didn't mm -hmm. like. I feel like it kind of wasted the premise, but I get that that's just how he makes movies. And maybe it's just not what I'm looking for for me. When Sophia was able to go like all out in this thing, I was like, yes, I want more of this. Like she, she deserves Cage. more. Yeah. yeah like like I, honestly, I wanted her to have a full Kill Bill moment, like they extended. I didn't hate it, but like, I'm like, I'm good. I, I, I don't even know ever. I was like excited to watch this one because I'm like, oh, it's going to make for good YouTube. And I'm like, is it? I don't think it is. So. I saw twice. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, I had a great time with it. This was one yeah. where, you I know, the it. day was ending. We got a little shots in us. We were going to take a shot every time, you know, like a game, Nicolas Cage or something. <laughs> No, we could, every time he says testicle, we could not do that. But um, I enjoyed the first time watching it. I was like, I, I got to make sure I watch it again because I that was like a day off. Just we had done so many movies already. Um, I went back and watched it again. I have Why Don't You Play in Hell on my PlayStation 3. It's the only movie, don't ask why, it's the only movie that's saved on there that is one of Sonos films. So I kind of like know his style, so I knew what I was mm -hmm. getting into. I thought it was interesting to see our boy go from the midnight movies he's been having to now a premiere. I want to see him in yeah. U.S. stocks. I want to see Nicolas Cage win something in, <laughs> in the U.S. Uh, narrative. Yeah. It is goofy. Like, it's just it's all over the place. Look, it, it has some bits where it's like, ah, oh, that's funny. He's going to choose a certain vehicle over the faster vehicle. <laughs> I, that part, just I kidding. was all like, <laughs> am I missing something? Like, this is something this I would have wanted to see in a theater. Yes. Look, I'm going to keep it a buck. If you're watching this with five to six people, four or five of them will be sleeping while one of them is going to be laughing their butts off. It, that is yeah. just the case. There are going to be bits where someone's going to find it yeah. funny and most of the people in the room are going to find the person laughing at it funnier than what's happening on screen. Yeah. There are shots where it's like, wow, he really likes gumballs. Oh, the gumballs are still in the credits. There, there are obviously <laughs> certain things that he wanted to see. I don't know how much of it was limited because I know that there's like a huge lore to this movie. That's the part where, mm -hmm. where I'm still holding out to catch it a third time. Maybe even read the script. There's He's trying lot. to do this weird Mad Max type of uh, yes, dystopian, landscape. Like, yeah, landscape. Dystopian landscape yeah. that, that I don't know. Maybe he wants to make sequels with this or not. But I know he had a heart attack. So he wasn't even able to film it where he wanted it to. Nick oh, Cage Jesus. like, don't worry, I'll go to you. <laughs> I look, I know it's not going to be for everyone. Uh, I can't even recommend it as much. I don't think it's better than Mandy. I don't think it's better than... I was one at TIFF. I really enjoyed Colorado that one. Space. I, I love Color Out of Space. I think that's got the goofiness in there. This is a tad too long yeah. to really enjoy those testing Fun lines. And, yeah. and, and a lot of the yeah. other lines that he has. But I, I still thought they were funny. I still think that there are bits in the movie that I think are, are worth experiencing. And definitely with a group... Uh, and you can play the Nicolas Cage shot game. But, uh. yeah. I mean, look, obviously there are several moments in this movie that almost seem catered to go into a compilation of Nick Cage freakouts. Yeah. That's right? what it is. So, so it's good for those moments, and I, I, I do really... <laughs> love the fact that this movie is full of compelling distinctive choices in, in its production design, in how it in how it casts and moves extras. Money. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, there's it's dripping with aesthetic, right? And I like the intentionality of so many of his choices. I didn't understand any of them, and that's okay <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. 
Um, I, I cannot tell you what this movie is about or really doing, but I enjoyed lots of moments in it. I'm probably not going to watch it again uh, because once time, one time hearing Nick Cage scream like that is enough. But, it, you Even know, twice. I did enjoy it. And it, I, I, you got to know what you're getting into. But if this sounds up your alley, then like, look, science knows you, your guy. He is perhaps the, the most aesthetically crazy director working out there right now. And for, for all intents and purposes, this is a, a restrained movie for him. Yeah. So, His I mean, maybe start with Tokyo Tribe movie. or something. But, yeah, like, this is, it's fun. I It's not he great, but care. it's fun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how this one does. I, I hope it, the festival goers were split on this. Some people I'm really sure it'll it. find its audience. It'll find its audience. Yeah. yeah, definitely not for everybody. It's a Fantasia movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, yep. it's a Fantasia movie. We said that a lot about yeah. a couple of these where we're like, we've been doing the rounds on festivals enough that we kind of yeah. start knowing, ah, this How It Ends should have been a Tribeca movie. Uh, first Date yes. should have been South By. South By. Yeah. 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 The Sparks Brothers, and talk about another potential South By movie, although it was a huge hit at yeah. Sundance. This is Edgar Wright's first documentary, a documentary about his favorite band, Sparks the Sparks Brothers. That's not the name of the band. That's the name of the documentary. I didn't catch this one, but I think Amanda and Art both did. Amanda, I think you liked it quite a bit. Uh, what, what was uh, it about Sparks Brothers that you thought was good? I didn't like it like exceedingly amount. I just like Edgar Wright a lot. I thought it was a yeah. really good documentary. Um, it's got a lot of the Edgar Wright flair, but then when you get to the end of it, it really is just going through this band's career album by album by album, mm. and they've got like the basis for Yo Gabba Gabba in there, like <laughs> like weighing. It does in. seem exhaustive. It is two plus it was hours a lot. long. I feel like they could have yeah. condensed some of it down in certain areas without having to touch on pretty much everything. Um, but it's interesting to kind of like hear about this band that just literally will not give up. Um, they're like for a band that, you know, there's a couple songs that if I played them for you, you'd recognize like one of the songs that they're really well known for is in Kick-Ass. So like it started playing mm. and I'm like, oh, my God, that's the Kick-Ass song. That song's in Kick-Ass. And it's just like other little things where they would just kind of like change up their sound. And it's almost like that sometimes they were too early to certain trends. So they got completely like pushed to the wayside and then that style of music blew up so it's yeah. like they were a couple years too early for punk they were a couple years too early for like the 80s like synth stuff and then you know it hit the 90s and they're like screw it we're still gonna do the synth stuff yeah. uh, while everyone else is doing grunge and it's it was just uh yeah really really interesting um lots of fun stories and i i actually forgot that i knew who they were because they did that um collaboration with uh franz ferdinand franz yeah yeah yeah, no, it was uh, it's it was interesting and like some uh, some good work went into it. I think if you're a fan of music documentaries, you'll probably really like this regardless. Um, if you're not, there's no reason to watch this. <laughs> yeah. uh, I knew very little about them either. And yes, it is pushing the two hour mark. We were able to catch every movie back to back to back to back. We didn't really split anything. This was the only movie that was so damn long. I had mm -hmm. to pause it to not miss another Showtime to then mm -hmm. come back to it. And mm -hmm. look, I know it's got a lot of the flair that a lot of people are going to love from Edgar Wright. It's just so long because it's covering these dudes since the 70s, 60s, yeah. 50s. And, and, like and right I, I do the find volume. them. Yeah, I do find them fascinating. Like Amanda was saying, these were like your favorite rappers, favorite rapper. You know, they're yeah. the ones who mm -hmm. influence people who don't even know that they were influenced by them, but mm -hmm. were influenced by the person they influenced type thing. Yeah. I really like their tenacity and like they were never mm -hmm. going to change and such. Yeah. Uh, I like the way that it's shot. I know that he had said he based a lot of the um, 
he wanted the movie to look like one of their album covers. So yeah. they like tried finding the lenses so that it always looked like the photographer who shot that specific album. And they're interesting. I, I really like mm-hmm. the comparisons that they make about their how they started with their parents and specifically that everything they do every time they perform is them trying to reenact when they were going to movies in the 50s and the 60s mm-hmm. and they were sitting in those theaters uh, with their dad and that that's the same emotion they want to give people uh, in the audience when they do their concerts. I think it's good. It's just yeah. a really long doc, but yeah. I, yeah. I thought it was very well made. It definitely... Yeah. It definitely feels like he's trying to fit in everything. He's about a fanboy. Yeah, he's a yeah. fanboy. This is like the director's cut of the Smart yeah. Brothers documentary. The you best know? way to put it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which for some people, that's probably what exactly what you exactly. want. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The final movie in the premiere section is Street Gang: How We Got to Sesame Street, directed by Marilyn Agrello, about the group that created Sesame Street. Art, what did you think about this documentary? So this was one that the more that I've thought about it, I really enjoyed it. And the more I think about it, I was like, wait a minute. these Didn't, didn't they sell Sesame Street to HBO? And now you don't actually have, oh, yeah, what the entire doc was telling you about, which is we are going to make this accessible to the people who need it. So that was like the only thing that kind of took away. This is, again, you and I talk about this all the time when we're doing the streams in here in Intercut. In order to have an authorized documentary... You are going to miss any big truth bombs. We don't know what they could have been. But mm-hmm. instead, you're sacrificing like the nitty-gritty for all the archival stuff that you get to see, all the of the behind-the-scenes, all of this access. Mm-hmm. And I think for that, it's fascinating. They really highlighted John, who was, I believe, the director for a lot of the stuff because they're like, oh, everyone's always focusing on you know who was voicing the characters and the puppeteers and all that stuff. But they're like, John did so much work behind the scenes. And I like the beauty of like seeing them handle uh when, when it was outtakes and seeing how aggressive they were with each other yeah that that's some of the best stuff in here the the yes. little the little bits of extra footage uh when you get to see jim henson goofing off between takes and stuff like that's the stuff that i think you come to a documentary like this for yeah and again one of the best lines in it was when somebody asked like uh you know they had really big problems with how diverse the cast was you know i'm sure this could mm-hmm. be a great double feature with would you be my neighbor the uh rogers doc of course yeah i, I prefer that one a little bit more Mainly because it's, I guess it's because it's focused on one person instead. But with this one, there was a specific, you know, like the really highlight bit was, was uh, the problem people had with the diverse cast. And they're like, what the cast? And they're like, what about the cast? <laughs> I love that. And then you reminder, well, what about the fact that now all of Sesame Street is paywalled to that degree? So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's a little bit more I wish they would have gone into. Um, I would have loved to have seen Bert and Ernie finding a little bit more. But still a really, really, <laughs> yeah. really solid doc. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a joyful documentary about a, a joyful show, and yeah. I think you know it's not necessarily the deep dive into the topic that maybe you might want, but it, it's te- definitely uh, it's definitely a, a pleasant watch, and you learn some things from it. Yeah, not not anything crazy, but I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be on HBO.